you know, one girl, she's pretty young. She goes, yeah, I've been, um, I've been taking up gardening, gardening, and I just want to share my first fruit. And she pulls it out like this big ass. Yo, yo, welcome to the, what we call it? New School Fools Podcast. The new school That's what we're going to roll with for now. Let's see how this shit works out. I like it. I like it. I like it. So what's what's going on in your world, man? Shit, man. Uh, been quarantining for last three or four months uh, here in Atlanta. It's weird because it looks like everything's pretty much back to normal. I mean, you see people uh, wearing masks like in the grocery store. But other than that, it looks like just a normal, you know, summer day out here. And it's crazy because yeah. I, I talk to people, you know, in other parts of the country and they're still in lockdown. Places aren't open. But here, like bars are open. Gyms are open. Pretty much like everywhere where you're likely to be, you know, in close contact with people and and spread this disease. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. How, we'll, we'll see how it works out. Shout out to San Francisco with the uh, the orange forecast currently. Um yeah, they they were on lockdown even when I left, and I think everything's still on lockdown. And now that these fires are raging across California, changing the color of the skies and all that, um, I'm sure the lockdown is an even deeper effect. But it's also California, so they they uh they're used they to take, the fires, right? They're used to the fires. That's one. But I feel like this year, like 2020, in a general sense, plus fires on top of it. I don't know. This this all seems apocalyptic. <laughs> you know, for, for some of the folks over there. Uh, but yeah, but nah, I dipped, me and the uh, me and the wife dipped over here to Atlanta to um, just get away for a bit and be around the fam. And then as soon as we leave, chaos breaks loose over there. It's the craziest thing. I have no idea how that happened. But So the fires in San Francisco are not the same ones that started in San Diego, are they? Well, luckily, there's, there are no fires in SF proper. It's um, further north, so I think like Sonoma County and uh, Napa, like the wine country basically is where they're having those issues. And then over in um, Oregon, which is what northeast um, of California. Uh, but so you got those fires going on and then down south, which is normal. Like the fires in the south is normal. It, this is wildfire season is what they call it. So... That's not surprising, um, but that sandwich, San Francisco being in the middle of all that is is definitely strange. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little wild. Um, in the five years that I've been out there, I haven't seen this happen. It's usually fire coming from one area or the other, never both at the same time. So, yeah. That's crazy because I thought like San Francisco and, you know, northern, anywhere north of that was like more temperate weather. So I wouldn't expect like it would get that hot and that dry enough for like wildfires to start wow yeah man like sf though that's the thing so sf is in a really weird spot uh i can't remember what it's called but where it's centered on the water it's just this strange swoop of cool air i, I can't remember what it's called but like that like, so to put it into context if you drive out of san francisco like 20 minutes going to oakland or Going up to, um, uh, like going towards Napa, if you, you know, driving like 40 minutes going up to Napa, the temperature will go from like 56 degrees to like 89 in a 20 or 30 minute drive. And I'm not even playing. And then same deal if you're to drive south of SF, you know, going to like going towards San Jose or Palo Alto, same deal. You know, it'll be 60 degrees in SF or even 40 sometimes like you know if it's the winter time and middle of the night and then you'll drive down to San Diego and boom not San Diego sorry to uh San Jose and boom you jumped up like 30 degrees in temperature and it's like how the hell <laughs> like wait that's, what that's 20 crazy. minutes yeah 20 minute drive 30 minute drive and the temperature jumps up on oh, my sister she she actually clocked it she drove from SF down to Palo Alto um, and she recorded it on her Instagram and it showed like her temperature rising over the course of that 35, 40 minutes. And she's like, this is insane. I left the house in a sweater and jeans and now I need shorts and sandals. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's different out there, man. Yeah. It's, when you said temperature rising, it reminded me of that mob deep song. I feel like we need to go back and post and just like 
play that in the background of you. We should. We should. You we talking should. about that. And hopefully YouTube doesn't doesn't hit us with that. Uh, hey, we noticed you're using a copy copyrighted song. <laughs> you can't monetize this video. I feel like uh, it's cool if we use like five seconds. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, nah, and they and they don't care about hip hop. <laughs> they definitely don't care about Mob Deep. That's 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 not that ain't happening. Google don't care. Yo, yeah. speaking of hip hop, I had the most random, random thought. It had, to be, it had to be like a couple of days ago now, but like every once in a while, every like couple of months, I'll randomly think of that part in the Yin Yang Twin song, Get Low, uh, where the dude goes, Can I play with your panty line? Yo. And just like, <laughs> just that line. Yo. I'm just like, Yo, what possesses somebody to write that Hold on. on a piece of paper? That's frightening because that happens to me every couple of months where that happens and i asked the wife recently i was like yo ain't a ain't a panty line like that thing that y'all wear like uh <laughs> pre-cycle like isn't that like in preparation for when that thing's supposed to start why the hell would someone want to play with that <laughs> it's just, it's just, she was like you gross i'm like i'm not gross i ain't right it <laughs> that's the yin yang twins i'm just trying to figure out where their minds are at because this is insane but uh but yeah that's weird because uh, you're not the only one I wonder why that. I wonder why that is. That's. I guess that is that. Could that count as a bar, like an iconic bar, if it stands out in your head? Yeah, it's probably the most like memorable part of that song. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that and like oh, ski, ski, oh, ski, ski, ski. Yeah, I was about to be like, I don't know, ski, ski, ski is kind of close. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, damn, but, man, it's been a minute since that song came out. We were like, what in high school? Yeah, man, and now, we're, and now we're transitioning into the 30s. Look at that segue. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Magic. That was a good teamwork there. Yeah. Magic, magic. <laughs> that's that's that Kobe Shaq, RIP. That's that. We we had that. We had that moving. But yeah, man, the uh, transitioning into the 30s. That's high school seems like a lifetime ago, and um, adulthood is pretty complex. A lot, a lot more complex than um, I thought it would be back in high school. Yeah, man, it, it, it's crazy because we have like these different periods of our life, right? Like we're in elementary school and we think middle schoolers are so, you know, grown and then we get to middle school and the next step is high school. And then by high school, you know, you think that in college you'll have it figured out. And then in college, you think by the time you graduate, you'll have it figured out. And then it's like the next step of your job when you get started and each step along the way, you just realize there are more, <laughs> there are more issues and different issues that you're not prepared for. Yeah. It's um, that weird thing that your teachers and your parents were saying, right? It's like, y'all, you're not going to understand until you're a little bit older. And it's like, Daniel, when am I going to be at that age? It's like, <laughs> every time you think you've made it, it's like, yo, it's still not here yet. Really? It's been 15 years. Like, what, How much longer do I have to go before it makes sense? Yeah, and the 30s are an interesting, like, time because, you know, by the time you turn 30, like, you're still young, but you're fully solidified as an adult. Mm -hmm. If you make certain mistakes, nobody's going to have any sympathy for you or chalk it up to youth. So, you know, by certainly your early 30s as a guy, especially, you know, for women, it might be younger. But as a guy, you really need to, you know, start having your plan in place. Um, and I don't know if it just happens naturally, but I kind of feel like that's where I am now. Like I feel, you know, solidified in my job, you know, I'm still learning some stuff and I'm still pretty much the young guy, but I just feel more confident in you know, my ability to do my job. I don't know if you've experienced something similar, if that came earlier or, you know, what your experience has been. Well, I guess like, you know, you know, before I could even touch on that I'd, I'd have like a I'd have a question and the question is do you feel as though you're more confident now than when you started because it's not like you jumped into the career you're in is something one you've been studying for for a number of years but also you've had experience at previous jobs related to the profession before you've gotten into the current role right so mm -hmm. do you feel as though there is some maturity or development in that context, right? Where you feel more like an adult now because you've been in those waters for a while 
and now you're just in something a little bit more challenging, but still within the same frame, the same context of what you studied. Yeah, so I mean, you know, what I studied certainly helped, but I think what kind of got me confident in my job is a couple of things that you might not expect. I think it took like failure or my perception of failure at one, you know, my first job before this to actually up my confidence because, you know, after that happened, I realized like I was making a mountain out of a, a molehill. Like it really wasn't that serious. And, you know, I was more capable than I thought. And I was more capable than, you know, some of my, my counterparts. But what happened was I got in my own way and made things, you know, seem more, I made things more difficult than they needed to be. So in a sense, after I stopped caring and I just started trusting, you know, in my own abilities, I was able to, you know, kind of get more confident in, you know, what I do. And essentially it just comes down to not caring what other people think and believing, you know, in your own abilities. So that piece right there. So the not caring about what other people think. I I was thinking this before you said it. And as you said, I'm like, cool, this is a great, great um, jumping point. The not caring about what people think portion of um, experience, right? Like when you're working or whatever it is you're doing, even if it's a hobby, something you're doing um, on a consistent basis. I often wonder, is it a result of the time you've spent doing said thing or is it because you're now in your 30s? Because they, you, you always hear that stereotype, like the old guys who just really don't give a shit, right? They get to a certain point and it's like, man, I'm I'm grown. Like, I don't give a damn what so-and-so has to say around the corner or this guy down the street, I'm going to do what the hell I want to do. And a lot of people are always looking at those old guys like, yo, what is their problem? Like, why can't they be a little bit more conscious or, or, or cognizant of the things that are around them and the emotions and opinions of the folks around them? So I, I wonder, you know, and in your opinion, like, what do you think? Do you think it's an age thing or do you think it's just an experiential thing? Like you've been in it. So you're just like, I'm going to do what I do. I've already experienced the worst, <laughs> like not trusting myself. And now I'm, I'm more confident now. Yeah. So I think it's an experiential thing um, for me. And I guess I should just talk a little bit about what I do. So, you know, I'm an attorney, a contracts attorney. I do negotiations. Um, and for me, like I've been in conversations with other attorneys, you know, talking about a contract and I've been brand new to the field and not really know, you know, not really knowing what the hell I'm doing. And, being a little bit embarrassed because, you know, you're talking to a very seasoned attorney, someone who's been doing it for 20 plus years, and they're talking about concepts that you don't know about because you're brand new. There's no way you can know what you don't know sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and being on those calls with multiple people, not just the attorney, but, you know, business folks, you know, your boss might be on there and just getting like owned on the call <laughs> and having and having that happen multiple times. You know, it's it's part of the process. It's part of like the growing pains. But once that happens, like your level of your threshold for embarrassment like rises. And so after being embarrassed like that stuff doesn't phase you anymore, you know. So when I first started, I was mad nervous, like talking to other attorneys or talking to, you know, even my internal clients. um, Because you're like, what if I don't come up with the right words? What if I don't know what? I'm talking about and in the case of internal clients um I'm supposed to be the attorney I'm supposed to be the lead but they've been you know selling this product for a while so they're probably going to know more than me and if I don't know what I'm talking about I'm going to lose credibility with them um but it motivates you to do two things one to like I said lower or I guess raise your threshold of embarrassment and two to study enough put the time into get to the point where you're competent and, you know, can gain the level of respect from whoever you're talking to. And another thing that I've learned is sometimes it's okay to say, yo, I don't know. I, let me go talk about this internally and um, I'll get back to you, you know, once we've discussed this and, you know, give you an answer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. You know, it's, it's funny because um, I was talking to a friend of mine about imposter syndrome the other day and I feel like that, 
lack of confidence in the beginning is completely that, especially when you're surrounded a, you're surrounded by professionals, a bunch of folks who've been doing it for so long, you start to feel like I'm not supposed to be here. And I think it's because we know that they have years of experience, right? Because they tell you that when you get there. That's the reason why you're studying under them or with them. It's so that that information can rub off on you and get experience. But we did not go through that process with them. So we it, it's almost as if it's an out of sight, out of mind thing. We know factually this person's been doing this for like 12 years, but our this is our first interaction with them. We've known them for maybe a week, right? So mm-hmm. to us, like it's like our brain tricks us into thinking this guy's only been doing it as long as I have, and he's so much further along than I am. Why is this taking so long for me to pick this up? Now, you know, me, I'm I'm a web developer and working in IT in a general sense, you always feel like you're behind. Um, you know, I'm sure there are a couple of folks out there who might listen to this who are in the field and they know um, how often you have to keep up with the changing industry, with the technology constantly advancing or some new framework coming out. And it's overwhelming, like it's extremely overwhelming. And then when you hear about the guy who's joining your team who knows this very specific uh framework or this specific programming language, whatever else is going on, um, you start to feel a, a, a bit inadequate, right? You're, you're thinking, oh, crap, you know, this guy's here and he might be gunning for my job, not intentionally, but because he has more knowledge about this specific thing than I do, someone is going to recognize my uselessness or that I'm, you know, a quote unquote imposter. Um, and, it, and it starts to weaken your resolve a bit. But as you were pointing out, the more time you spend doing the thing you're supposed to do or even asking that person questions, letting them know you don't know a particular thing, you'd be surprised how many people are actually willing to teach and how quickly you can even get up to speed just by uh, stating that you're not familiar with a particular thing and that you'd like to know more. Um, People love teaching because I think it one reinforces the fact that they know a lot. It's Mm -hmm. like an ego thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's, it satisfies that other egoic need of uh, helping others, right? Like being needed, being wanted or needed. Um, right. So that contributes to, as you put before, your experiential learning and then also boosts your confidence so that by the time you're in your 30s, if you've been doing that that long, you don't really care what anyone else thinks. You're at that point now where you are that 12-year vet because you've been doing it for you know almost as long as he has. Yeah, and I feel like experience kind of sneaks up on you. I don't know if um, you've had similar experiences, but, you know, for a point in time, I was doing kind of privacy stuff, and I got thrust into being the subject matter expert, like, pretty quickly on, um, quick, pretty quickly, you know, into my time there. So, you know, I got brought on by this guy, um, and I was working under him for a while, and he left after, like, three months. And the company goes, okay, you're the expert on this. And I'm like, I am not the expert on this. They're like, well, you know more than we do. So <laughs> you're the expert on it. Uh, figure it you're out. You're the guy now, yo. <laughs> yeah. <It happened. laughs> um, and so, you know, by virtue of like necessity um, and everyone asking me just questions, 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 like fairly quickly, I had to figure it out. And I'd say within like, you know, three months you know, three, uh, an additional three months, like I kind of felt comfortable in that role. Um, and like you said, I think it goes to maybe the egoic need because like when you know that you have to do it and you know that everyone's counting on you to do it, you tend to rise to the occasion. So, you know, I don't know if you've had a similar experience. I feel like you may have based on, you know, conversations we've had in the past, but yeah, you know, I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think the big fear with regard to that stuff, um, definitely an egoic need um, and that that need is not just uh, wanting to be responsible, right? Like being the guy, it's beyond that. It's wanting to not disappoint people. Like, I feel like that scares the crap out of most people, man. Um, I, I mean, I can speak on my own behalf. Like, <laughs> I do not like to disappoint because it it just sucks. You know, you feel like you're unreliable. You feel kind of um, worthless in a sense. 
And that's not a good space to be in, um, especially especially in the realm of business. Like when you know your your decisions will affect an entire organization, company or team and you screw up. Oh, man, it's not even the the. I mean, the concern of getting fired is always a big deal, right? <laughs> People are scared of that. But I also think it's um, it's that fear of, dang, you know, this guy, you know, Kyle really dropped, dropped the ball on that one, you know, or Rain dropped the ball on that one. Like that kind of um, that kind of thing is, I don't know, it's, it's enough to knock you off your feet um, and also kill your confidence where you don't even want to stay within the field. So, yes, definitely for me that has happened. Um, I've worked on several projects in the past. Uh, I remember I worked for one organization that will not be named um, on their, not just their website, but also some of their web applications, Um, like a, uh, not a ticketing system, but a, an an actual system to distribute tickets for customers, like to come into, you know, particular events. So I guess it's like an event, um, what would you call it? Like event handling system. I don't know, whatever, but that putting something like that together, I had no idea what I was doing. As you can tell from my, my, my poor explanation of what the damn thing did. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was green, man, when I got in there and that's because I was fresh out of school. It was probably my first real gig, you know, dealing with, um, the web and just even software engineering in a general sense. And it was terrifying. But the problem was I spent more time freaking out and trying to find the information necessary to do the thing um, than I did like actually focusing on, all right, what's actually needed here and how can I creatively accomplish this particular goal within the allotted time given? I wasn't focused on that. Too busy freaking out. Um, So my, yeah, my experience is definitely, that has definitely been the case um, because doing so, ended up disappointing a few folks, right? Because they're expecting, you know, yeah, you're you're green, you're new, you're coming in, um, fresh out of the uh fresh out of the college or fresh out of whatever program you're in, um, the certification program you're in. And then next thing you know, you're <laughs> you're not even asking questions. You're just there staring at the project and essentially letting time pass. And that's not one, it's just not the way to do it. But Having that happen, um, being in that position definitely helped quite a bit with more recent roles um, because now it's just like, all right, I know what that felt like. Don't want to be there again. Don't want to cause that level of disappointment. You know, now I'm going to, whatever's thrown at me, let me do the research required on my own and ask questions when necessary to build what needs to be built. Um, on top of that, one of the other one of the other major experiences, like turning points as far as building confidence was seeing the disappointment, um, like knowing that you're the cause of the problem. That is enough to make you say, all right, never again. I want to be the solutions guy going forward. I don't want to just coast. Like I actually want to be the valuable asset at this organization or in anything I'm doing, any and everything I'm doing. Um, I was telling my brother the other day, we went skating. I've taken up inline skating again after like, I don't know, like what, 15, not even 15 years. Geez, like almost 18 years of not doing it. And, um, all right, bro. Probably 20 years. <laughs> nah, same. <laughs> Airborne all day. That bring junk is trash. Um, ain't no Disney out here, yo. But, uh, took it up again, like with my brother and uh, we've been taking my niece to the park and just, you know, doing that thing. And, I think what like oh yeah so last week i took a pretty nasty spill um and just you know tore up my elbow um because my gear wasn't i didn't strap up my elbow pads like correctly so you know took that l fell had to happen i'm bleeding <laughs> and not only that prior to that i'd fallen like two or three other times right like just straight up on my back and people are out in the park so and you know these, there's teenagers walking around i'm that 30 year old dude like on inline skates busting his ass <laughs> And like teenagers like stop yeah, and stare like, visual, oh, bro. Huh? This visual of you like inline yeah. skating with elbow pads and knee pads. Yeah. Do you have a helmet too? 
<laughs> how to help of course i'm keeping my head safe yo hey, man, safety <laughs> first no ct but that yeah. visual is wild bro no i know i know son i know um and like i said them teenagers was out there yo like they watching they probably got their phones i'm probably on world star somewhere or on tiktok whatever the kids are using now <laughs> old and, man um, takes a spill yeah <laughs> but um but what's crazy is the i think like the second time i fell i just like kind of i leaned up I saw all the crowd, you know, not crowd, but like the people that are out and about and them young folks like kind of like on looking like, oh, snap, yo, you good? <laughs> and I just laid back down looking up at the sky like, yeah, what am I doing out here? And I'm like, wait, I do what the fuck I want to do. Like, <laughs> yo, I'm 30 years old. I earned the right to skate around some damn inline skates, you know, and bust my ass as many times as I feel like it. And it's like after falling that time and the one where I cut my arm up, after that happened, it was just like, I don't care no more. Like, I just did not care anymore. I just wanted to do it more. So I've just been amped about going every time we go. Um, as crazy as I look out there with elbow pads and a helmet on and all of that, um, and me tripping and falling, I'm hyped to do it. And I think that that same, um, it's not fearlessness, but that experience, you know, it translates. It's a, it's a good representation of how you should be in your work and, you know, workplace or any projects you're on don't be afraid to look foolish just do your thing do your thing yeah so i thought of a couple of things um i know we mentioned mob deep earlier but i feel like when you were telling that story about slipping and falling i just thought of dmx i'm slipping i'm falling i can't get up <laughs> see now i thought you were gonna say say um steve urkel but you know that works dmx is <laughs> to stay within the hip-hop ah, steve urkel yeah. dmx i mean same thing <laughs> <laughs> No, but, um, yeah, like, you know, I feel like as we get the experience, we care less, we tend to care less, but there's a balance, right? Because, you know, prior to, you know, prior to reaching that state where we don't care as much, we tend to care too much. Yeah. And then I think you mentioned earlier, like those old dudes that are walking the streets, just not giving a fuck and tend and, you know, are, are like dicks to everyone else. Like... As we transition, you know, as, you know, being 30 right now, I feel like we have a little bit of both of those worlds. And I think it's important to kind of maintain, you know, you know, a touch with maintain, like, you know, being in touch with, uh, you know, your humanity, your, your caring, because it is important to care what other people think to an extent. Um, especially like if you're going to be a leader and yeah. you know, be responsible for managing other people or teaching Absolutely. other people, um, you can't get to the point where you, you know, you kind of lose touch, you know, with other people's emotions. Yeah. Like, that's a fact. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've witnessed that. I mean, across the board, like just in entertainment or politics, uh, all kinds of realms, we've noticed that the people who have a disconnect from, other human beings they they usually end up falling pretty quickly and the fall isn't a result necessarily of um well i guess it's wrong to say it's not a result of poor leadership when if they're not listening to their constituents or to their followers i mean that inherently is poor leadership but um it it, it i think it's poor leadership in the sense that their followers and constituents will now oust them Right. Like when people don't when people no longer want to listen to you, I think you've failed in your role as a you know a leader. Mm -hmm. Right. Imagine, you know, being um, imagine like your kids. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, for those out there who are parents, like imagine you've been screwing up left and right as far as providing discipline in your household and um, demonstrating discipline as well. So not even just disciplining your children, but the idea of showcasing that you yourself are in control of yourself and your actions. You just don't do that. You, you know, slop around on a couch. You never clean. You never work. You never do anything um, that would like show those kids. Like, oh, there are other aspects to life than just being a couch potato. And then your kids turn out to be couch potatoes and you turn around yelling at them for being couch potatoes you're not leading through your actions. You, you're, I guess, leading through your words, kind of. Mm -hmm. But no one's going to... You think those kids are going to respect you when you do that? Like, dude, what, why are you yelling at me to do this? You never do that. I've never seen the example of you doing that. I have zero incentive to do that, you know, because of your inactivity, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, as a leader, I, I think probably the most important thing you can have from your followers or whoever you're leading is their respect. Like if they don't respect you, you know, as a human, then it's going to be hard for them to take what you say seriously to follow your Absolutely. direction. Yeah, that's a fact. Um, being a leader is tough, man. Like, you know, I, I, I can think of like a situation where, you know, someone was asking me for advice on like a contract and they're getting caught up on, we should do it, you know, this way. And it was like an issue that was really trivial, not important. It was like mm-hmm. listing out all the amendments to a contract. And they're like, I feel like we should list out all 18 of them and, you know, list out the date of them. And I'm like, it's not, it's really not that big of a deal. But for some reason, it was a big deal to this person. Um, and they're like, well, you know, the, you know, the customer wants us to put it in there. And I'm like, all right, well, it's not that important, but if you want to put it in there, that's fine. Like if basically like if you want to do the work to do it, fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think the point I'm trying to underscore here is as a leader, you have to one, pick your battles and two like be encouraging because this person wanted to contribute something even though it really wasn't important you have to still like find a way to you know build up people's confidence because um you mentioned the egoic need to help people i think there's also you know an egoic need to feel like you're helpful and so in that moment i'm just like let me let me give it to this person like you know she's trying to be helpful and she is trying and even though yeah, it, you made a it's not accomplishing anything, yeah, even though it's not accomplishing anything, it's not hurting anything either. So exactly, mm-hmm. you you did what what do good leaders do, right? You weighed the risk. <laughs> you weighed the risk. It's like, all right, what's the what's the worst that could occur by allowing this person to do what they need to do or what they want to do, I should say. And you made a calculated risk, or you calculated the risk, and then you realize, all right, it's not a big, eh, it's not going to harm much. Uh, kind of a win win. Yeah, it's a little bit more work, but at least they'll get experience and they'll feel happier knowing that they got to do this thing they wanted to do. And that will obviously make them trust you more, right? Because you trusted them enough to go do that particular thing. Yeah, yo, completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of leaders, man, like we all, I, I don't know if we all do, but I feel like a lot of us fancy ourselves as you know, being a leader, but we don't realize like how difficult it is. Like yeah. within my role, I don't manage anyone, but my boss, my manager certainly manages me. Um, and manages about like six other people on our team. Plus, you know, being responsible for various things within, you know, the organization. Um, he was out this week and in him being out, he put me and one other lady in charge of, you know, being his backup. And it was in, you know, this past week, I realized just how much that dude does and still like has time to answer my questions, answer other people um, on my team's questions, set up meetings, one-on-one meetings individually with us to discuss various agreements. And it's like, bro, like, I feel like I was busy this week and I'm realizing (laughs) like my busiest week is nowhere near as busy as like a normal week for you. Yo, and in that moment, got shit on my son. <laughs> yeah, basically, man. And like in that moment, you're like, yo, this is what like being elite. This is a lot of stress, man. Like, yeah. do I even want that? Yeah, it makes you it makes you question like the that ladder, right? That ladder that everybody's obsessed with climbing. The end of that ladder is usually management. I mean, whether it's managing the people or you become the CEO and you're essentially managing the company or managing the team that manages the company, you're still managing a bunch of other folks. Like, I don't know. I I don't know why people haven't accepted that reality yet. You think your job is hard. Wait till you own the entire organization and you own a bunch of yous, basically. Like you are the manager of a bunch of yous. Those moments where you feel lazy and it's like um you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take like a a 30 minute break and not work on this thing multiply that by like the 200 people at your organization and then stop and process that would you want 
those 200 people taking an hour break like willy-nilly when they want to or those two hours break where they're just like, I'll get to it later. Nah, when you realize it's your money, you're probably going to start freaking out like, oh, wait, uh uh-uh. And I think that's how, um, you know, these leaders, these these managers and so forth get kind of they become jaded. Right. They've been in that role that you were in. They know where they might have cut corners or they have been like kind of lax about things. Then they moved a little bit higher up and they see how being lax about certain things affects the money, like the, the profit of the organization. And then they get to an even higher role and they're like, yo, man, I can't afford to have people lollygagging because we're losing a ton of money and this thing's going to belly up. Like if, if people don't get it together, if there are a couple of people here who are way too lax, it ends up affecting the salaries of everyone at the organization. And if the entire organization bellies up, then a bunch of people ain't feeding their kids this mm-hmm. year or whatever. So I might need to trim a few people from this team, you know, get some, get a few people off the roster to save the entire team. And it, it's crazy, like having to make decisions like that, sit down and think about those things on a consistent basis, that's got to wear on your conscience after a while. And I have not met a single manager yet who does not have gray hair. My dad's a manager. <laughs> He's got all his grays. You know, um, my boss is a manager. He's got his grays. Like, <laughs> his boss is gray. So, yeah, man. Um, I, I don't think that, I don't think uh, being in those high leadership positions is conducive to a, a fun time. Uh, a fun, stress-free time. Um, yeah, but you, you, you got to be able to, to thrive in a stressful environment, though. And I think like certain people are built for that. Maybe you can be trained up for that. I don't know, but I feel like you got to be that. That needs to be part of your nature. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and I've seen different managing styles work. So my current manager, dude's just mad chill. He's like, "Yo, if you do your work, cool. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just make sure you get it done." If you have any questions, ask me. And, like, I've never seen dude lose his temper. Um, and, you know, he's just very good at, like, delegating responsibility and also letting people take ownership of, you know, the work that they do. So, you know, I think he's a, a good manager. But you also have people that are on either, you know, side of that. You have people that are too lax, that don't provide any sort of guidance and, you know, just kind of leave you in the deep waters and then you have the micromanagers yeah Uh, and like from a you know person that's being managed perspective i feel like being in the middle um is probably the best position to be in but sometimes i'm like i wonder if the micromanagers are actually more effective because they you know have their hands and everything they know exactly what's going on and they can have things they they have a better chance of having things you know, go according to the way that they want it to. You notice they have like far fewer fans though, right? Like they, they get stuff done. That's the crazy part. But, and that, that kind of makes you wonder about success because it seems like the, you know, the most successful people have the fewest friends in a sense. And Mm -hmm. this is also dependent on your definition of success, but those folks, because they're micromanagers, everybody complains about them. It's like, oh man, they're always getting on me about doing this, 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 and this. Every 10 seconds, they're looking over my work and telling me I need to correct things over here and I never get any breathing room. But your work gets done though. And it gets done correctly and gets done well. And you still have a job years down the line. So technically, the micromanager has benefited you in a number of ways, but you still don't like him or her. You don't, you know, you probably aren't like going to, go out to um happy hour with them or something like that right uh, so it, it does make you wonder but I, I i do think that being in the middle is the better balance because i often wonder if managers and um even uh, owners of particular companies become kind of cold over time because of that right like the, the, their effectiveness becomes priority uh, more so than their human interactions. And they are super effective. The business thrives, but then they find that they don't have a personal life. Um, they don't have many people they can connect with. Uh, it's just about the business. We need. I feel like we need people like that, right? Because like I don't know if uh, we'd have the, probably wouldn't have the country we live in if we didn't have people like that. But I also, you know, worry for those people because, you know, how... Um, I don't know how depressing of a life that seems to me. 
But then again, I've been fortunate enough to have friends and family. So I feel like that's that's probably why I have that perspective. I'm biased. Yeah. And it's just it's insane. The amount of work, the amount of time like they those people have to put in like, you know, my manager and other people at his level, they take their, you know, one week vacation and they're still answering emails. And I just feel I feel bad like it's. I mean, that's the life that they chose. But at the same time, it's like, yo, you have a one or two weeks vacation, like a year. And even during that time, you're still responsible for, you know, answering, answering questions. And I try to do my best not to ask him any questions. But by virtue of his position, there are a ton of things that, you know, people need answers to that he's the only person that can give the answer to. So even if he's on vacation, he's got to leave his phone on and. You know, if it's a really important question, you know, potentially leave his family for, you know, a few minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, and, you know, respond to it. And that's just that's a crazy life. Yeah, man. But, you know, some I, I like to think sometimes that these folks, before they even get into these roles, their partners and children are already like a, or they probably don't have kids yet. You know, their, their partners are aware of their work habits and their work ethic. So it's you know, they, they have that established. So they're cool. Um, it, it would suck if that was not the case at the beginning. And then, you know, that becomes the case because people, you know, people like to feel, um, I guess wanted and also that you're present and by not being, not being present, like that stuff starts to wear on people real quick, super, super, super quick. Um, male and female, that stuff will wear on people quick, and young and old. Like, you know, if your kids don't feel like you're present, that stuff, whew, <laughs> they'll make it known in their own interesting ways, but they'll make it known um, that you're not around to try and get, they try to do whatever it takes to get your attention. And that's, um, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's tough. It makes me wonder sometimes if this, you know, modern world that we, as we understand it with business and business and commerce so this is the, as the way in the way that it functions now uh, it makes me wonder if this is sustainable we've been doing it for a while but you know how long before humanity as a whole is just like gosh why are we you know why are we doing it this way we need to find another way that is more balanced or as you put it like just being in the middle we need something a bit more moderate mm-hmm. and not as extreme um, we'll see and it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen this, but the system, you know, the the corporate system, as you, you know, spend more time in it, I feel like it trains you to be a certain type of person, right? To make certain yeah. types of jokes, um, you know, references to talk a certain kind of way. Um, I, I've kind of noticed it. I've kind of noticed myself like, you know, when I'm leading off a meeting, like to follow a certain structure that I've seen my boss do and I've seen other people do because that's just what ends up being effective. And then, you know, I'm talking to older people. So you get a sense of what types of things they find funny. So you make a certain type of joke to lighten the mood and to get everyone feeling comfortable. But it's by virtue of, you know, the the environment that you're in, you start to become this person. And you realize like everyone is this person and the system is doing a good job of making the people who last in the system be basically robots, robots in a sense. I don't know if you're, yeah. you're if I'm making any sense there, but no, it's no, just you, a weird you, thing that I've noticed. It's a script, right? Like it's, it's basically to be in it, the, the corporate play. That's <laughs> we'll call it that, right? To be part of the corporate play, you're going to have to follow the script to a T. And whomever is leading the play, the, the lead actor is the person that you are going to emulate. And when there have been generations upon generations who have been following this particular script, you don't really have a choice. It's very difficult to break out of that mold because people have come to expect it. You know, something to keep in mind um, to stay within the the realm of uh, theater. Uh, you you look at all of the shows and films and everything based off of many of William Shakespeare's works, right? It's very difficult for people to break out of that stuff. You get the whole tragedy, um, dark comedy, or black comedy, whatever you call them, 
um, you get all of these tropes that I won't say were established by him because there were other there were other playwrights at the time and even prior to him, but they've created a particular standard that, or or he set a particular standard that every medium since has followed, whether it be novelists or playwrights, right? Now, corporate environment. After a, you know several decades of seeing that play out for different organizations, different successful organizations at that, it does, it, to me it's not very surprising that people continue following the same trend. So doing exactly what you're, what you're talking about. If the CEO is making certain you know, jokes or references at a keynote that got applause from people and I want to be a CEO at a certain point, I'm probably going to you know, write that in my notebook, like, oh, you know, make sure, make sure I have some references that my target audience will, will vibe with, you know, um, it, it just seems, and not only that, but you're also getting this script from other mediums. When you watch television shows that have a corporation as like the central focus, if it's a sitcom or something like that, or if it's just a drama that has a a multi-billion dollar um, corporation as the central focus of the show, you're going to get those things in there too. So it's not as if you just, you're just in the corporate environment where you're seeing this. You're seeing it in your shows. You're hearing it on a podcast. You're seeing it in interviews with these people who own these companies or the managers from these particular organizations. You internalize all the stuff from all of these different facets. And by the time it's your time, you know, like you put it to lead a meeting or to speak you know, to have a, a keynote speech, you will definitely dig into that bag and pull pull out one of those um one of those sources as your as your own point of reference. Yeah, man. Um, I I mean, I think to an extent it's like normal, um, and and probably it, it makes sense because, like you said, if you've seen it work in the past, you're just going to emulate what you've seen. You know, be successful. Yeah. There's, I don't think there's any way around that. That's just, um, I mean, this this podcast, for example, right? This this mm. first episode, this pilot, using Audacity to record and having you record on one end and me record on another end and fusing those two things together, that's because other, <laughs> you know, other podcasters have have, paved the way. have said that this is the this is one of the best ways in order to get the quality to um be of a be be top tier right so yeah it, it's it's constant emulation but what what kills me though is but it's crazy though because it's like emulation of a personality type yeah so you're like in a sense giving up your individuality and you're exchanging that for like the prospect of success in an environment and it it sounds bad and it may be bad i don't know but I feel like it's also human. It's also, you know, kind of evolution and adaptation. And it, I think it's also very human to want to fit in. We all like feel the need to fit in somewhere and you spend most of your time at work and, you know, you're going to be around those people. So you might as well be liked by those people or at least be respected by those people um, rather than not, because if, if you're not, it's just going to be, you know, a miserable experience. And like my man, uh, Jordan Peter, Jordan Peterson says, like, you don't want to be at the bottom of the dominance hierarchy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, some, something related to that. Wouldn't this be, I guess in the, in the, in the same frame of selling out, right. Wouldn't that concept that you mentioned, isn't that, is that where that comes from? Where people are like, Hey man, you, you completely changed yourself up for success. But wouldn't you though like i mean isn't that the point right kind of have to right yeah because it, it's kind of like um i remember i remember 50 cent to jump back on hip-hop i remember 50 cent so, said something during an interview and i'm paraphrasing but it was like if money ain't change you you ain't make enough of it yet and i sat back like that kind of i mean it makes sense your circle is going to change the places that you go and the conversations you have they are going to change quite a bit and this isn't just because of money it's interest Right. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. get into playing guitar or something like that, you're probably going to hang around more musicians because you want to get better at that particular craft. If you want to be a damn good lawyer, you're going to hang around other damn good lawyers. So you might not be spending as much time with, you know, your homeboys who are 
drinking Mountain Dew and eating Doritos and playing video games all day. It's just it the the transition just happens. Now it makes me wonder though when people say sell out or you've given you've sold your soul or you've given up who you are for success. It also makes me wonder if those folks who remain the same is it coming from a place of a fear on their part that in order to be successful, they would have to change everything about themselves? Or is it a frustration with an, an, like an innate inability on their part to change in order to achieve those particular successes? Like which one is the thing that causes that uh, causes them to lash out in such a way? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always curious about that. I don't know I the answer. I'm just something I think about. I also think part of it is, people not being able to understand because they're not in that position. So like I had a conversation, you know, a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, uh, with a friend of mine who's, you know, just talking about wanting to make more money and, you know, to be more uh in his eyes like financially stable. Um and, you know, not kind of worry paycheck to paycheck. And I was telling him a story that, you know, an older attorney told me about attorneys that work at like huge law firms and come out of law school making 160, you know, whatever, a, a, a lot of money. And what they end up doing um, is, you know, buying a really nice house, um, buying a really nice car, and their lifestyle kind of expands to, you know, fit the amount of money they're making. And even lifestyle though they're making inflation. so much, exactly. Yeah. And even though they're making so much money, they're still living paycheck to paycheck because their expenses have, have you know risen to match what they're making lifestyle inflation um and it's like it reminds me of you know the classic biggie line more money more problems yeah um you get more problems and then if you aren't a disciplined person generally with less money you're going to carry those habits when you do make more money and you still end up living paycheck to paycheck and that's a crazy yeah. thought you know to think of i don't make anywhere near that much money but that's you know that's insane to me yeah i feel like and i feel like that biggie line needs to have a little asterisk on it and your point needs to be like the the little footnote <laughs> where it's like if you lack discipline <laughs> more money more problems mm-hmm. if you lack discipline um because there's a lot of dude when you have your priorities in a particular order, like you have a goal. And I think that that's most people's problems or most people's main problem is that they do not have an actual goal that resolves issues they have. If that makes sense. Right. Like some people, as you put it, they'll get these, these attorneys who get a ton of money, right. They, they move up and they get, they get higher salaries. They buy the car, they buy the house, but they still got several hundred thousand dollars worth of um student loan debt and in your mind you stop and you think well dude shouldn't you pay that down like just get rid of that why do you need the house right now or the or the car it you know it doesn't really serve well the house could probably serve because it could the value could increase and you can sell it but the reality though is there is a bigger thing there like a, a heavier weight on your back that you could have removed if you just locked in and said this is my goal but for some reason i, I feel like a lot of people um they they need that immediate satisf- satisfaction or instant gratification or whatever they have to have something physical to demonstrate their success their success because no yeah. one's gonna see that you cleared your student loans you can tell people that and sally may will know or nelnet and them but no one in your circle is gonna see and if you tell people that I feel like today it's a little different. I feel like more people are impressed when they hear that today, but but still, it, it's still not one of those things that is like just super impressive to people like, oh, wow, that guy is like super fortunate or that guy must work really hard or you you have to have the car in the house in order for that to be the case. And I think that that's, that's more of, to me, that's way more offensive, um, <laughs> you know, that poor habit of people or that lack of discipline, I think, is far more offensive than them just outright like buying a vehicle and everything when they dismiss something that's way more pressing for the vehicle or the house or some other stupid thing i think that that is like a major issue i don't know how and i don't know how you remedy that i don't know what causes that mindset yeah and i think a lot of those people become trapped by their profession right so once you take out you know 
the mortgage and you know you lease that car if you hate that job that you're in it makes it a, a little bit more difficult to leave because when you <laughs> leave handcuffs <laughs> exactly exactly oh man dropping dropping bars on people yeah, it was like y'all heard of golden handcuffs you heard of what's the other one what's the other one we said earlier what did we say there's another one there's another like cliche you got golden handcuffs and then there was um lifestyle lifestyle inflation that's it lifestyle inflation i mean but these are real i mean these are they're real things there are reasons why they're in the they're in the dictionary now you can look these phrases up um it's because they've become actual things in in um in our society and we could change it but you got to change it on an individual basis you know no one is going to come in and save you i was just having a conversation with um my soon-to-be father-in-law we were talking about uh we were talking about like this whole loan forgiveness program and all that and i've known about it since i was in school but i've never once considered it and i'm never i'm not here to tell anyone not to consider it definitely you know, take advantage of any opportunities that are given to you to not mm-hmm. be in debt. Absolutely. But my thing is, I don't want to wait that long, right? Like the only way that that thing works is if you stay in some kind of civil service, service position, right? public mm-hmm. service, yeah, for, service, yeah. was it 10 years? No, I think you're right. I think it is public service. But but is it what, 10, I think it's like 10 years or something like that, 10 or 12 years. It depends on, depends on the field you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that is that is like the most optimistic thing I've ever heard. So you're basically operating under the presumption that you're going to be at the same job or within the same industry, same field for a decade. So the economy is going to remain the same for 10 years, right? So your job is never going to be in jeopardy. The business you're working for is always going to be there for the next 10 years, right? You're, you're, Assuming so many things will not go wrong in that time. Mm-hmm. I could not. I remember when I when it was first pitched to me, I was like, I can't I can't roll the dice on that. I'd rather just pay it down and just have it gone. Because yeah, it might it no, I I felt like I could get it done sooner and I did. But my whole idea is when you are actively paying down a thing, you're watching it dwindle away. You know, you've made that mental connection that you are the cause of this thing. You're not relying on some entity outside of yourself to wipe the problem away from you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So by you doing it on your own, there's some pride you take in that. And it's, uh, you mentioned it earlier. It's like you become the guy. It's the same concept. You know, you're the one, you are dependable, except in this instance, it's not a team or other folks that are looking to you to uh, for leadership. It's you leading yourself and your confidence will naturally, naturally grow from that. You won't have a sense of dependence on anything outside of yourself because you made it happen. And then once it's paid down and it's gone, you're free. You don't have to wait 10 years. If you get it done in five, great. You got five years back to save up that money that would have been, you know, potentially put towards that if the program disappeared on the ninth year you know what i mean like if there's no could you imagine you're right there at the finish line and then they're like we don't have a budget for it like the country is just like the government is like hey we can't do this thing that we said we do or whatever organization you signed up with where they'd forgive your um, loans they're like we can't do it could you imagine how distraught people would be especially if they were spending their money over the course of those nine years and not saving anything up in case something like that would happen it's crazy yeah, so man. for me, just like a couple of thoughts on it. So yeah. I, I think of like teachers, that's like the example that comes to mind. Yeah. And I think if you're doing something that you like to do, something you love to do, if you're like a teacher, something like that, then yeah, go for it. True. Um, True. You know, you're in a position that, you know, you want to be in. And if that's an option that's available to you, why not utilize it? Right. If you, as you know, if being a teacher is your passion and you, you're sure you're going to be in there for 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, but no one just gives, no one just like <laughs> forgives like debts. So as I yeah. see it, like with a lot of civil service positions, I don't know this to be true across the board, but you know, the general sentiment is that you get paid less in those positions than you can make elsewhere if you went mm-hmm. into, you know, the private industry. So you essentially you are paying them back by taking less to 
exactly. do. Yeah. To the money to, comes to from somewhere. Job. Yeah. It's coming from your pocket. You're still paying for it. Um, and depending on how much your loans are, maybe, you know, if you do the math, you end up paying less over that time than you would, you know, pay if you paid it out of pocket. I don't know, but, um, yes, you're being forgiven, but you're, you're still paying. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a trick, right? It's, it's somewhat of a trick. Cause the thing that I stop in process right now, as you, as you mentioned that, as you brought up teachers, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Something I noticed, like one of the a big complaint in the country um, from teachers recently is that they have to buy their own supplies for their students now because the, the um, funding for some schools in, in, you know, depending on the district you're in or what state you're in, et cetera, they don't have the budget anymore. Like the school doesn't pay for supplies for students. So there are a lot of teachers across the country right now who pay out of pocket for, you know, rulers, pencils. Um, notebooks, all these things that, you know, maybe parents should be taken care of, or maybe just the school itself should provide, but the teachers are, are buying these things, right. To help educate the students. So it makes me stop and think, wait a minute, huh? I wonder if your forgiveness money is coming out of the budget that's supposed to go towards the school to pay for these things that they normally have. And I, there's just a thought that just popped into my mind. And that, that would be, that would be crazy, man. <laughs> if that's the case. Um, wouldn't surprise me though, if it, if it, if it is, it would not yeah. surprise me at all, but yeah, but yeah. yeah, conversations, these are the conversations you have at 30 finances, work, policy, <laughs> we're not talking about this in high school. Nah, nah, <laughs> not even in college. Nah, <laughs> we're just trying to make beats, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to rap, son. I want to put out a dope album. Yo, check out my mixtape. <laughs> check out my mix. Funny enough, when we were cleaning, when we were cleaning, um, cleaning out her parents' house, we found um, like a stack of random mixtapes. You know, in Atlanta, like people always used to just hand out stuff when you're in the mall or whatever. And dude, like some of the photos for these covers, man, are like straight off of people's MySpace page. Like they just took their profile picture and then like cropped it. And then use Microsoft Paint to put like Lil Nene's bop record or something <laughs> like as, the, as a front cover, or some dude taking a picture like with his gold chain close to the the razor phone camera <laughs> in the most low, like in the lowest resolution possible. And I'm sitting there like, damn, yo, people got away with this. But granted, I mean, maybe they didn't because I don't know any of these rappers today. Um, I don't know if they made it beyond. Um, those tapes maybe they changed their names though yeah. But yeah bro it's it's crazy to think about like if we had well let me speak for myself if i had like the work ethic that i have now in my current job you know back then when i was making you know music probably would have had it like a legit chance of you know making it further than we did yeah hindsight's twenty twenty, man it's it, but I think you had to go through these experiences because um, some of the folks, some of the like the guys who are out there, guys and gals who are out there um, who had that work ethic early on. I mean, you hear it all the time. They were hungry. Like they one, they had a they had a very, very, very deep passion for what they were doing. And no one could tell them otherwise. So much so that like they had poor relationships, maybe with their parents or their um, their peers because they got so obsessed with it, right? So they had no choice but to develop the work ethic um, and go hard in it because they needed it to work. Uh, whereas, you know, I guess guys like us, it's like, all right, we're not really starving, right? Like, we're doing, we're doing pretty okay. You know, the, uh, our, our, our families are pretty supportive, but they have certain expectations, especially being like first-generation um you know, immigrants. immigrants and all that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there's certain expectations about education and all these different things. We got it, you know, not, we don't have to, we could completely step away from that expectation. But I think, again, we made that calculated, we calculated the risk involved with that, right? Do we really want to lose these relationships that we fostered for so many years or, you know, the people that may have provided, like, do we want to disappoint them 
on the gamble that we could potentially be successful with this thing. I think that all that stuff comes into play. And those successful dudes and you know guys and gals out there who really go hard with it, um, that's the thing that separates them from the rest of us. Um, they didn't give a shit. They were already in their 30s in their mind at 19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where they're just like, I don't care how people feel about it. This is what I'm doing and I'm going to do it well and no one can tell me anything. So, yeah, I didn't have that. I definitely had that. <laughs> I wasn't that confident. Nah. <laughs> Not at all. Nah. Yeah, man. But yeah, man, it's been it's been a good talk. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess we should wrap this up. We should, man. Like, ladies and gents, you know, if you are in your thirties or you're not even there yet, yo, if you're listening to this and you're in your late teens and your twenties, and you're worried about getting too old, um, don't because yeah, you might maybe if you want to. Or have to. You might end up behind a desk somewhere working at some working in some corporate office. But at least you could inline skate. <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself feel young, yo. Strap on some knee pads, some elbow pads, and a helmet and take your ass outside on the asphalt. Bro, it's crazy the hobbies that like people get like in the corporate world. Um I'll tell you I'll tell you a story. Uh we were uh, we have like these weekly legal meetings where everyone in the legal department uh, gets on this like Zoom call. It's like maybe 80 or so people. Um, and a couple weeks ago, we had a meeting where it was basically like, hey, everyone talk about, you know, your your new hobbies, what you've been doing during quarantine, um, you know, with all this extra time. And one girl goes, a lot of people have been gardening. And one girl, she's pretty young. She goes, yeah, I've been... Um, I've been taking up gardening, gardening, and I just want to share my first fruit. And she pulls out like this big ass eggplant, and the only <laughs> thing that I can think about is the eggplant emoji. And like I'm on video, and I'm sure, sir, I'm sure several people just saw me just like start busting out laughing. Of course, I was on mute, but I'm sure certain people like saw my video as soon as she pulled out that eggplant. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say eggplant. I swear to God, man. <laughs> They're calling me. I wasn't yeah. expecting her to pull out an eggplant. <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yo, this has been uh, New School Fools. We'll catch y'all on the next one.